Welcome to Pickle Me This, the officially unofficial podcast for Rick and Morty on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm Aaron. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we're covering Season 4, Episode 6, Never Ricking Morty. Here's Aaron with the recap. Rick and Morty find themselves on a cosmic train with no memory of how they got there. One thing is quickly made clear. All tracks lead to a confrontation with Rick Sanchez. As every occupant on the transport has had previous dealings with Rick, almost none of them good. Things get meta fast as Rick and Morty realize they're trapped in an elaborate story framing device and the only way out is an answer Rick never thought he'd have to turn to. Unironic faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Jim. Never Rick and Morty. What did you think? Uh, this is a beautiful mess of an episode, uh, a meta mess of an episode. It's it, yeah. it's an episode that's all about storytelling meta, uh, commercialization of stories, and the, the kind of the tendencies of modern online fandoms as well. Uh, hmm. and, and I think it's meant to be sort of an interdimensional cable for this season based on some of the things they say in the episode. Yeah, I wonder if we'll still get an uh, interdimensional cable because they this was all very kind of Rick and Morty centric. It reminded me more of the Morty mind blowers, which, mm-hmm. well, as we talked about before, doesn't quite scratch that same itch for me. You know, like it's it's really cool to have these unconnected kind of like a, a clip show. But the interdimensional cable is I feel like that's where you really let like the Justin Royal inside go crazy. And just there are no answers. You you tack on some kind of framing device that explains why, which is the interdimensional cable. You can just have Rick and Morty on a couch and introducing craziness after craziness. This was a little bit of that, but this feels more like um, I know Rob Schraub, one of uh, Dan Harmon's longtime writing partners, has, has joined the show in the story room. And I think he's directing a few episodes. And I feel like. This felt like the result of like a big fight they had or a good natured fight they had in the the writing room between, (laughs) you know, like Dan, like in a story circle and whether they should be slaves to that and like how much flexibility you've got. And, you know, how can we be relatable as rich dudes versus, you know, to what extent you want to market stuff? And we got a seven season contract. So fuck all this. It's. I, I went as soon as I got done watching this episode, I went to the Harmontown subreddit, you know, uh, Dan's canceled his podcast, but there's still a community um, going strong there. And someone there said that this episode is up its own ass in the best way possible. Sure. And I really, really felt that like there's so like it, it, this is um, a lot of late, late stage Harmontown stuff like uh, Dan discovering the word cum gutter uh, <laughs> was in here. Uh, there's a lot of like the late stage Harmontown improv where, you know, things would get really meta and break into the, f- the fourth wall. And I-, I just I don't know, man, there's so many stuff. There's so much stuff here that doesn't really make literal sense. And I was mm-hmm. desperately trying to, to piece it together. And then the final framing device where it's almost like St. Elsewhere snow globe. Yeah. Where all this took place on a toy train and it literally doesn't matter. So all the Canon, not Canon just completely doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. It's wild. That's kind of where I get to like, this is sort of a, the tendencies of modern online fandoms with like their desires for what they want to see from the show and what the creators Uh want to give them. And you know, this, this pull and push and pull tension between the two, uh, is 
kind of fascinating to me and it's got to be fascinating to writers like Dana Justin um who who yeah I mean are very concerned about the structural stuff of storytelling and mm-hmm. are willing to sort of pile that into their their work um yeah. and and it is like it, the beautiful mess thing is kind of what really attracts me to this episode because you're right. Not a lot of it is meant to be taken literally. It's all just uh-huh. kind of there's half metaphor, half just meta commentary. Um, there's parts of it that like, you know, they brush up against what they would call canon uh, or whatnot. But then they subvert those. And you're meant to be, I think, felt like kind of reeling at the end of this episode not uh-huh. really knowing what to think about it. Yeah, like when he was they were dealing with the idea of Summer aging out of her role and going to college and then you f- see an old favorite like Aberdolph Linkler and Rick says, they're taking the good stuff, Morty. And Morty's like, is this even canon? He's like, it could have been. <laughs> like the fact that... And, and I think it's hilarious that um, like Dan and, and Justin and all these guys are putting like... You know, when they showed that final confrontation, like, let's see how your story ends. And it's just phalanxes of Gazorpazorpians and Meeseeks and an army of Rick bent to evil Morty's will. There's somehow a dark acolyte, Mr. Poopy Butthole, mm-hmm. that's all like Monster Man, Emperor Palpatine, or Palpatine in his, his little hood. And that's so awesome like if you ask the average fan like how would you like to see like this apocalyptic end to rick and morty that's probably kind of a cool shape for it to appear in and they just metaphorically waddle that stuff into a ball and throw it in a trash basket and say well that was cool but this is explicitly not canon in fact it's not even not canon it's like uh it's like as as canon as a adventure you would have with your star wars figures out in a sandbox when you were seven years old uh-huh. like it's explicitly just a toy version so like as cool as it is we're gonna have to come up with something even cooler for the real <laughs> final arc of this show it's really ballsy and very hilarious and it's the the, the, the whole time i think you hit on something that it feels like they're always flirting with alienating the fan base by pointing all this shit out how absurd it is right because um, it's not it's like, not just about like wadding up you know what would be a cool thing for the the you know climax of this series and throwing it out mm-hmm. the window and saying we'll do better it's more about like setting expectations you know like saying your expectations for what we're gonna do with this show need to be balled up and thrown out the window because we're making this show and you're either going yeah. to enjoy it or you're not going to enjoy it but what we're not gonna do is sit here and make the show that we think you want us to make, right? Right. Like, almost like I feel like that's something that's been, you know, you go back to all the different uh, commentaries we listen to uh, in seasons one through three, and I think about all the stuff that, like, Dan said on his podcast, and I've seen him say in interviews. It's, like, almost like they're self-consciously... Um, reflexively against doing that like if Mm -hmm. someone if if they ever came across someone with like a good idea for an in shape of rick and morty to go in they would like radically depart from that like nah fuck that we want to go take the road less charted Uh um you know it's like one of those thrilling things is like can they do that for seven more seasons like as they get a larger and larger body of canon and, and continuity and continuity bottles explode and 
you know, more and more apocalyptic threats to to Rick. I mean, he's already got like how many arch nemesis does he have <laughs> at this point? He's got uh, yeah. Stephen Colbert's guy in the pocket universe. He's got, uh, you know, evil Morty. Uh, Probably there's Aber Dolph Linkler. <laughs> Yeah, the devil himself, uh, like is the devil in- R- robo bird bird person? I don't, I don't know what's calling him at yeah, this point. Phoenix person, Phoenix person, uh, yeah. and Tammy. Like, there's so many of these like giant villains that he accumulates. The president of the United States. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, so many of these like potentially existential threats that they're just collecting, like so many Christmas ornaments. Um, and like when you hang all those on the tree at the end, what the hell is it even going to look like? Uh, yeah, I just I. You know, that's kind of the thing about this show is the possibilities are so wide open with the premise, right? I mean, we early in the show, we're trying to pin down, okay, what are they not going to do? What are they? What are the rules they're establishing in this universe? Time travel, is that off the table? Well, they've kind of said it is, but then they did these other things, which are time travel-y. You get to a point where the possibilities are so wide open that canon almost can't exist in that atmosphere, because in any mm. in, in any moment it could change, right? Because they could, you know, it's not even like retconning at that point. It's more just like we've never put boundaries on these characters or the stories we can tell in this world. And so your idea of what canon is should be very, very flexible. Yeah, and they've added like, you know, we they had interdimensional cable, which is a way they could kind of like do whatever hell they wanted. Then they had Morty's mind blowers where they could go and introduce alternate ideas of canon and things that you could tell about a character um but they could just undo it because all oh, that memory got erased and now they've got like you could see like in season six what if morty gets down the train set and decides to unironically play with it and then we go through all these fictitious adventures of rick and morty uh it's 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 crazy um and i like it and you wonder like you know it's like how do they keep how do they keep how do they keep getting away with it you know, and you mentioned the, uh, I guess, it, yeah, like what, 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 what Rick says is like, you know, when I create shit, it works. That's it's called being talented. Like, is that, yeah, that's <laughs> that might be the showrunners talking right to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was good. Uh, and you know, the, there's also the element of like the commercialization of fandoms, you know, and this, it, it's kind of the main thing in this episode where they're just, you know, <laughs> Rick is the, the salesperson here. I, like he's always ironically saying things. So this is not like out of character or anything. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he's willing to do what it takes to get out of a situation. So even the Jesus stuff, the the God stuff is not out of his character. Um, mm-hmm. But but I, th- I think like him talking about this train and saying, oh, yeah, you need to, you need to open your wallet. Where's your fucking wallet? Uh, buy two trains. Uh, don't return that one. Just buy another consumerism. If you don't buy the train, it's an act of buying the train. <laughs> right. Which like I like that idea. Like there's sometimes something is so huge in the culture that like taking a stand and saying I don't like if you said in the last 10 years, I don't like get I don't watch Game of Thrones. You're almost taking like a bold cultural stance. How about I do that you're with turning Harry Potter. your bet. Yeah, well, you you love yeah. you, you're a fucking iconoclast when it comes to entertainment. Like yeah. you kind of have a secret delight at oh that thing you loved in your childhood. Fucking never saw it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not going to. I don't give a shit if it's the best thing. But like there's a there's a couple things where Marvel movies is another example. Like if you go in a crowd of people who are talking about Endgame and you drop it, like yeah, I've never seen a Marvel movie. Mm. 
you're almost endorsing the cultural hegemony by taking a stance against it, right? It's a conversation starter at the very least. But yes, I... It's like... I get, it's get like saying, saying you're an atheist in a quote unquote Christian nation. Like that's a loaded, that's a load. You're, you're, you're that, that statement includes a whole bunch of press suppositions in, in uh, rolled into it that I acknowledge that this is kind of quote unquote a Christian nation. I am not buying yep. into that stuff. And I'm not buying this at the extent that I've actually thought my position through come up with the label of it that defines me in opposition of you. I, yeah, man, that, that fucking train commercial. That's not a train commercial to the extent that they, did a, a they came up with a URL that was available, registered it uh-huh. because it's owned by Turner Broadcasting and then didn't do anything with it. Beautiful. Um, I, I fucking I, I don't know. It's avant garde. I love that shit. Yeah. And the never, never Ricky Morty is obviously a reference to the never ending story, which is yeah. kind of the perfect meta note to hit here, because that story is all about two worlds, one that we think is a real world and one that is within a book kind of merging over the course of that story. Uh, and and the anthology is wrapped up in that too because there's very much this Bastion is... Uh, th- th- this kid is going to have many more adventures and they're all going to be told through this fairy tale, this, this fable sort of mechanism as an anthology. I, I think they tried to do that with the series. They got to, I think, three and then that thing just petered out. But yeah, mm. it's kind of the perfect framing device. I really like the name of this episode. Yeah, and they do like they do this other thing. I think Rick and Morty are so good at where they they touch on like political hot buttons like you had in this one 24 minute episode. They talked they they touched on uh, wanton and indiscriminate cop killing. Uh, they talked on like the uh, you familiar with the NoFap movement that's kind of like gone on certain line where like people I, I like, mean, I know I I know what it is. I am not familiar no. with the movement now. No, it's like there's like mostly men online who have uh, convinced themselves that uh, they're addicted to porn and masturbation. And, you know, you can get addicted to anything. Mm-hmm. But then they like they they create these communities where they extol the virtues and not masturbating. And then that turns into kind of preserving your precious f- bodily fluids and energy. Sure. And how you get like better clarity and you almost like they talk about it in almost the forms of like the kind of it's kind of like the same way that like transcendental meditation. People talk about transcendental meditation. Yeah. It gives you a high. It's like, have you tried it, bro? Have you tried not jerking off, bro? I haven't jerked off in like six months. and like, I can fucking levitate now. Uh-huh. Like they got that. And the fact that like, also, like, I think uh, I secretly believe that 95 percent of those people, if they got the chance to, like, you know, get their dicks wet, they'd take it, even if it would destroy their superpowers. And I felt like they lampooned that really well. Oh, in this episode. Yeah, the universe. Yeah, the the uh, feminist masterpiece uh-huh. that they constructed with the, <laughs> their special times and Morty's 14 year old boy understanding and comfort with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With with a metaphorical and literal kind of ticking time bomb gun to his head. I man, they touch on that stuff so lightly and they fire the guns in so many directions that like, what are you going to what are you going to say about it? Yeah. Like it's almost. um, Yeah, I don't know. Like you could almost start saying like, uh, what what do they what is the actual through point like is are they going to like a south park direction where they essentially say everything's stupid like like because i think that one of the criticisms that people levy against south park is that like the the only consistent moral framework that the south park guys have is caring about things as stupid Mm. and i don't know sometimes like i thought this stuff was really funny but like i think 
you could go into the Rick and Morty, like any Rick and Morty subgroup or fan group, and it might be equally divided how people like whether people think this is punching up or punching down on feminists or I don't know, sure. cops killing people or, or whatever religion. It's like, like a, yeah, they even make a meta joke yeah. about it in the episode itself. So. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, you have the ultimate defense is this is just literally action figures, you know, going about on a play vehicle. So, like, the how serious do you want to take it? Which goes back yeah. to, like, you know, maybe the only the only crime is caring about something. Um, You had to have caught in the fact that the, Paul Giamatti was a story lord, right? No. No. You didn't see. You didn't, yeah, he was one of the guest stars and he was the story lord. The 90% fuck? cum gutter. Paul Giamatti. What? How did I miss that? I don't know. Well, he was doing a performance. Like, it wasn't just, like, immediately recognizable Paul Giamatti. Huh. Um, also, the vaguely Wolverine-looking dude that kind of started the vignette scene it was uh, Clancy Brown, who's done a lot of work on the show okay. at this point. Um, yeah. He was a little bit more recognizable. Uh, but yeah, no, I, 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 I really liked his, uh, his voice stylings. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. It was, it was a performance, like you said, cause I did not recognize him at all. And I'm a big Paul Giamatti they, fan. They described him as the uh, matrix, some type of matrix space Frazier, which uh-huh. man, Dan's really good at like those kind of labels because it, yes, it immediately, you know that colonel sanders guy but he's kind of like up his ass and those you know uh is a know-it-all mm-hmm. he's also got the kind of like uh ozymandias well looking space outfit on that he rips off to reveal his his uh, uh impressive cum gutters yeah i, I, I want to talk about that a little bit because i had i had not okay. heard that phrase either really Did, not to describe abdominal muscles no Nice, because I I heard that about ten years ago. A, a friend of mine described their boyfriend as having them, and I it's like it's one of those phrases that as soon as you hear it, you know exactly what it is. Right. Uh, but it is. It's like yeah. It's 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 become. It seems like it's uh it, it's hitting a cultural inflection point because more and more people. I was an early adopter of the cum gutter. Didn't invent it. <laughs> Huge fan. Wish I had, wish I had them, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> especially like just like the joke kept on getting like crazier and crazier. Mm-hmm. Um, when Jesus that was one of the finally things I, gets them, that, that was too good. He's got, he's got the perfect ones and they're literally mm-hmm. like the, 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 the holy light was emanating from them. Uh-huh. I mean, I think that's one of the best of the early Simpsons jokes. The fact that groundskeeper Willie. Uh, every once in a while would have cause to rip his overalls off and he was just revealed to be ripped and shredded and he would like wrestle wolves and things. Yep. And this is just kind of like that with a rule of three. Like every single time it comes back, it's going to be more impressive or mm-hmm. uh, and it might, it's, it, it's funny in a repetition. It might be the perfect time to talk about some of these other uh, story structure stuff with the rule of three um, because they're also mm. poking a little fun at themselves here. Like we've, if you've been listening to this podcast for more than this episode, we've talked about this this concept of a story circle that Dan Harmon has kind of coined. You know, it, it's based on like the hero's journey and all sorts of other stel- storytelling devices. But this is kind of his version of it. Um, mm-hmm. And they have an overt reference to that in this episode where they're kind of poking fun at just how, I guess, formulaic everything is when you stick to that story circle um, and, and sort of the the stale stories that you get out of that and this episode is very much breaking with that particular uh storytelling model 
but by slavishly following it because sure, like sure. you know everything he mentions like when he says oh we're in a story circle like oh here's the part where we just got through the vignettes thank god here's the part where i'm gonna have to make a shabbily constructed spacesuit to walk along the thing to cross this threshold we're going to pay a steep sacrifice yeah. to cross this threshold and so this is also I watched this and then I immediately watched it again without taking notes just because I knew it would be a rewarding experience because they tell you what they're going to do and then that informs the rest of the episode. Right. So like did the sac- the heavy sacrifice they had to make was it Rick almost dying or was it Morty having to think about his mom and sister on their period? <laughs> That's a good question because yeah, but not, that, they don't lose anything there, right? Other than maybe their right. their own, uh, but I don't know. Whatever discomfort it is. with biology. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I think that that was and then all that stuff actually happens. Everything he says in that like right. apartment where he finds out this is a story circle. And then you find out literally it represents a metaphor for the train, you know, that like you, you, you work your way through the old enemies compartment and then your allies compartment and then the old lovers compartment and you confront the story master. Yeah, the, uh, do there's you think like a it, mini story circle within the fabric of this entire episode. Yeah, and there's all this like breaking, like literally of walls where they're getting thrown outside side the train and they're reliving these out of wildly out of canon narratives. And every time they, I, I liked when Morty got pulled back in, it's like, hold on to the highest truth, Morty, that you're actually on a train getting your ass kicked mm-hmm. as right before he gets thrown out the window himself. I I don't know. I thought that. That stuff was always really good. And also, is there a little bit of um, nervousness in that scene where you've got the story master, you know, like we've even said this, like Rick and Morty is a show that has no limits. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many ways they can break narrative. They can take whatever continuity they want. But this show, this, this, that, that particular scene where you've got a a nefarious uh, character trying to pull that to its utmost limits. Like, can I exhaust all of the narrative energy, all of the story potential to maximize its marketability and its relatability. I wonder if that also is some kind of fear in the writing room that like if they take that shit for granted, it can be pump dry. Yeah, I was I was reading more of it as like the machinery of the commercialized storytelling industry is sort of pumping that dry. Um, hmm. And, then, you know, it's not limit- limitless. It's not inexhaustible. Uh, fresh ideas are, you know, potentially have more value than ideas that have been done to death and maybe are, you know, easily understood by a mass uh, media consumption uh, population. But like, I don't know, it it could be some of that as well. So like on that note, um, when they defeat the story master and Rick goes to like, uh, you know, save the day. And he realizes that this is a fake train. Um, did you notice there's something inside the throttle handle? There's like some kind of like graduate. Yeah. Like the, the inside of that was graduated and it had like, uh, you know, like some kind of scale of numbers or something. Um, Mm -hmm. when it rolled away, I was wondering if there is some kind of like thing to that. You know, we're doing this show on a Monday, early Monday afternoon. So, like, I didn't have a limit, a limitless amount of time to, like, look into it. And um, I didn't see anything written around the Internet. But, like, everything, like, you know, he just rips off this label and he breaks this thing. And it's like there was some kind of writing and numbers. I, I wasn't sure whether what that was supposed to represent. And maybe <laughs> this is me um, 
not adhering to the overall lesson, which yeah. is nothing matters. Yeah. Because I was trying to think of like, is this some kind of like lost numerical sequence that we're supposed to realize something? But it's also just the ins- it's also like, what could it be? It's just the inside of a fucking handle from the Citadel of Ricks. But then again, it's the Citadel of Ricks. It came from a, <laughs> a gift shop in the Citadel of Ricks. Is this an mm-hmm. evil Citadel of Ricks plan that they're hinting at? That's going to you know mature at the end of the season. I, I don't know. I don't know either. I didn't even notice it. Yeah, um, uh, but I just thought that you know when we're talking about um, thing things that we saw on screen, I want to talk about a couple of moments that I liked, and also just the overall general animation. I think like it, you know as much good stuff as we've said about the animators over the past few seasons, they really kicked it into high gear this episode. Like there were a couple of shots yeah. that I'm almost certain you can only do in 3D, um, and uh-huh. I, I know you know most animation software these days is 3D. But they kind of pull some stuff that we haven't seen a lot in Rick and Morty, which that zoom through the crowd of, you know, evil, uh, essentially stormtroopers uh, under yeah. the control of, you know, Star-Lord or whoever the hell he is. Uh, uh-huh. That was that was really cool. And then, man, maybe my OK, there, there are two other things, actually. So when they're doing this, uh, yeah, you know, feminist masterpiece fantasy of, of Morty's. There's uh-huh. a shot where they show Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg and she she's framed. All three of these are framed in split screen with a couple of rainbows, but they're like off at an angle. And so it forms like this V in the middle of the screen, which sure, I just thought was a sure. moment of genius. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then the last one, which is maybe the most amazing thing I've seen in a while, is Floaty Bloodman. Uh, just he, you know, this, this train ticket tickets, please guy gets ripped in half and he's floating out in the suspension of disbelief, essentially. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And, and he's just in this family fun time place, spraying blood everywhere for what they make clear is months, like three months. Mm-hmm. And, and I see people running around in this building, which implies that either <laughs> a they're trapped in there with a man who is geysering blood from his torso <laughs> or yeah. they are specifically being let in to experience this and family fun time has turned this into a new attraction <laughs> thereby, you know, taking this, this tragedy and like, I don't know. It's just, it's such a good piece. It's just such a good moment to have people running around in that place. But yeah, the attention to like the fact that the blood was coming out of this spiraling and the splashing <laughs> everywhere. Uh-huh. There was a lot like I I wrote this as something to talk about, too, is like this show never half asses anything like from the very first frame. You've got deep space and then like this train popping out of hyperspace and rushing towards the camera. And it was just cool. Yeah. Like, you know, they pay attention to like what what is the kind of meta of a starship appearing out of nowhere nowadays like you've seen this in like you know the expanse going through jump gates or you see it in the the new star treks and and star wars and then like it comes out the two to train uh someone you know like lovingly designed this space train and it looks like some kind of cosmic uh, snow piercer <laughs> and they just really commit to all of these ideas like you said the shot of them swooping through like the death star canyon of the troops yeah. in, in the rick and morty apocalypse they just I don't know, man. It's really fun. Like Rick growing multiple arms to win a, a, a gun sh- and then, <laughs> multiple then growing cheeks. multiple anuses to yeah. to have slightly different, you know, fart, fart uh, harmonics. It's 
it's just it's it's amazing i i i fucking loved it i even like stuff like um you know the the conversation that um <laughs> story story man story lord and jesus christ had on the beach where they're talking about how yahweh was a sumerian god named yah and the mesopotamian god named way like that's literally ripped from a conversation him and duncan trussell had on a christmas episode from <laughs> harmontown like seven years ago hmm. Um, which, by the way, if you're a huge Rick and Morty fan, um, I cannot recommend enough uh, The Midnight Gospel, which is a new animated show on Netflix. And the hook on that is Duncan Trussell, the aforementioned Duncan, Tr- Duncan Trussell, which is kind of like um, imagine Joe Rogan, who doesn't never got into MMA and got way more into mushrooms and DMT, if mm-hmm. you can believe it. Um, and just talks about crazy religious experiences and metaphors for life. They take his podcast that he does um, and they take where he interviews celebrities and talks about this stuff. And then they they get Pendleton Ward, the guy who did Adventure Time. They get to animate that parts of the conversation and they come in. They do like two minutes of ADR with the star in question to make a loose narrative happen. But it's just this guy who like beams into different consciousnesses throughout the universe and, and does a podcast based on that. Uh, hmm. It's it's really fun. And, and uh, I know Dan has appeared in his podcast. I'm really looking forward to a future season when we get the Dan Harmon episode. But I think if you like Rick and Morty, you might want to check out that Midnight Gospel on, on Netflix. Uh, the, the last thing what I else really to- wanted to mention was uh, the, the, the mention of the coronavirus, because obviously, you know, that happens at the end, which made me it kind of took me aback because I was wondering. Sure. At that point. It is a pretty recent reference. How long ago did they wrap production on this thing? Yeah, like speaking of South Park, those guys like pioneered the technique of fully animating an episode within two or three days of a news event to take advantage of that recency. Now, this, it seems like something that would be very relatively easy to like, because there was like what, one or two lines of dialogue about it. Yeah. But, yeah, I wonder if they're looking for ways to kind of blend that because, you know, they've obviously talked about like what, you know, because of the high quality of animation, this isn't South Park animation, which is designed to look like crude paper mache shit kind of swiggling around. Um, It is painstaking to do. I wonder if they are leaving like little niches where they can insert like really relevant, um, fresh commentary. Um, but I don't know. There's so many things I don't understand about the season. Like, why did we have the what four month, five month gap? in the middle mm-hmm. um you know was this like a unique once one shot where they're like oh we're gonna go live in a couple weeks oh let's get into the booth and tape another line and have them reanimate the lips so we can get a coronavirus dig in here and a dig on like commercialism or something i, I don't i don't know it just makes me wonder if later in the season we're gonna start hearing things that were maybe not super obviously but definitely recorded at people's houses like on mm. on microphones at their desks like kind of like we're doing here right because everybody's sure. self-isolating if you got some some lines you need to to loop in some some fixes to dialogue some changes in animation you might yeah. have people doing things from their houses because this can all be done remotely right there's no actor that needs to stand in front of a camera um the, the, there's people who are just sitting at a desk in an office doing this stuff anyway so like you can get it done. I wonder if that'll start to bleed into the show here. 
Yeah. I mean, I know they prefer to like have it done on probably their soundscape where they can oh, get absolutely. direction and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, if they need to just grab a couple of lines, like just have someone record it and uh, well, on their, they've on done their that before, phone. right? Um, I forget the exact episode, but they had one of the, the guest stars record a few lines on their phone and send them in. I for, That does seem familiar. I was about to say, but I thought I wasn't sure if that was Rick and Morty, or if that was some other show I was watching where they talked about. It's definitely um, Rick and Morty. I remember it. Yeah. I just don't remember who it was. Yeah. It was like, oh, it was like a phone. Fo- wasn't it a phone call? Like it was literally like an answering machine message or something. It, they just had it might someone- have been like Joel McHale or somebody. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say it was him. But yeah, they they could do that. And if it's like something that they, maybe the, if the if 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 all you're talking about is like changing the lip configuration, maybe that's something they can do a real fast turnaround time on. But I'm curious to see how they can maybe continue to to blend the bleeding edge with the Rick and Morty. Yeah, uh, we got a piece of feedback from Fate Strife uh, sent in right towards the tail end of last. This is this is uh, from a time capsule four months ago. Uh, you can send feedback to Rick and Morty at uh, baldmove.com if you got something you want to say about this episode or our coverage in general. Fate has the following. It says, I recently listened to your entire catalog of Rick and Morty podcast, and there's one detail that has been bugging me. Well, first of all, thanks for going through the slog. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's some dedication there. Uh, they continue. Anytime the multiverse comes up, the show gets shat on a little bit for any decision it makes because, in theory, an infinite number of universes means that anything's possible. Yeah. There's no limit to anything the show can do. In other words, for any decision a character makes, there's an infinite number of versions of that character that made or did not make said decision, which makes anything that they do meaningless. I would like to state that this is not possible, though, for one simple reason. There's no way to physically make a dial or remote with an infinite number of options. Just because there are an infinite number of universes between Earth 1 and 2 does not mean that you can make a controller physically search for infinity. Any portal technology a Rick uh, and Vince would be limited to their programming and tuning capabilities. Yeah, in fact, the same that's, way how mo- that's literally impossible, right? To make a, a machine that could tune into a limitless number of possibilities. Yeah, you would think because in our universe we have a finite number of particles. Right. So like just to construct a device that had infinite, it's 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 impossible. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. Uh, the same way how most analog radios work uh, will allow you to listen to any channel uh, to a channel, even if you're slightly off the tuning due to the limitation of how precise you can physically make the instrument. There are only so many universes that any Rick can tune into, even if the number is huge, like in the trillions, there'd still be a limit. So when Rick makes a statement saying that there's only a limited number of options in the multiverse for any one thing, he's probably referring to the number that any Rick can physically reach as opposed to universes in existence. Um, I've never thought about the limits of the portal gun itself and what you could experience or the limits in like a remote control. Yeah. So I, I find that interesting as a, as a former developer, software developer, um, because if I were trying to approach a an extremely large, or in this case, infinite number of possibilities uh-huh. um, with a limited uh, scope at any one time, what I would do is probably break that infinite possibilities down into subsets, which I could then sort of dial between subsets. Like... I, you you can't do it because the, the definition of infinite means that any finite anything is going to be incomparable next to the the infinite, right? So like you're never going to be able to break the infinite down into enough subsets that a finite controller could access them all. 
Well, and they, but they also kind of lampshade this a bit with the concept of what they call the finite reality curve. Like there are true in an infinite number of existences, but there's only a small amount that like has a Rick and has a Morty and has Beth's and Jerry. And this kind of like, because Rick is so self centered, these are the possibilities that concern him. Like, I wonder if there's like a module you can get for your portal gun that like la- that that takes some other slice of the non the, of the uh, another finite curve, or maybe Rick doesn't exist and they can use that. Or oh man, I just thought of like you know we talked about how you couldn't build a universe, you couldn't build a simulator that perfectly simulates our universe because you don't you know you 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 need at least one particle to simulate every particle in the universe right so like you would need another universe's worth of shit to simulate ours mm-hmm. i wonder if they go off the non-finite curve and just use entire universes in their machines and simulations like like there's several universes in <laughs> in their infinite realities that are just running the rick and morty software i mean that would be cool uh and I think you could take you could take a whole bunch of universes and use those to simulate a single universe. But the trouble here yeah. with infinity is that any subset of infinity You're is right. also infinity. And so, yeah, you know, you can say, OK, well, there's a there's a finite number of these universes that have Rick's and Morty's in them. But that's definitely not true in a truly infinite universe. In an infinite universe, yeah. there is also an infinite number of universes that have a Rick and or a Morty in them. And there's also an infinite number of universes that don't, right? It's yeah. This is a brain-breaking, narrative-breaking, yeah. show-breaking concept. And that's yeah. why we talk about it all the time, because I just find it fascinating to think about those mm-hmm. things. Uh, yeah. I, I don't expect the show to adhere to some strict definition of infinity, right? When they say infinity... They're throwing around a term that means something far beyond most people's true comprehension. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they're not trying to say that this is truly infinite. They're trying to put a big number out there that doesn't limit them. Yeah. I mean, not only that, but also at the end of the day, this is a cartoon where a guy takes a pill to grow another butthole so he can have a two-tone fart. <laughs> right. So, right. But I'm I'm kind of like I'm thinking of like you're right. This is a race condition. Like imagine you're Mr. Fantastic. You know you're the guy in a Fantastic Four that can stretch his arms. You're trying to get your arms around the known universe, and as you mm-hmm. stretch your arms around it, the the universe grows because it's infinite. And eventually you get to a point where he's you know his his fucking arms are only one atom thick, and then if he tries to stretch one more, it breaks. Like uh, you're right. You cannot physically bound an infinite concept. So. Right. But like you said, there's the portal gun limitations uh, that uh, our, our emailer here, uh, Fates, is talking about. You also have the show itself conceding that there is only a finite number, the uh, 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 finite curve to space time that they're primarily considered with. So, but but that still gives them so much room to. Yeah. You know, I feel like the infinite is useful in Rick and Morty because they can blow our minds when they want to, but they can also dodge behind the finite curve whenever they want to, like, say, well, there's a manageable scope to it. Right, right. And I'm not trying to, like, you know, shit all over this emailer. I think you're very much right about the way that mm-hmm. that device would need to function. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, the way that they use infinite as a term in the show and the way that we understand infinite in the real world don't line up. But that's fine. Pickle Me This is distributed and produced by Bald Move. All music featured on this podcast is from the Rick and Morty soundtrack, available from Sub Pop Records. 
Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To discover the many other great shows we do, please check out baldmove.com. If you appreciate what we do and want to directly support us, consider joining our club at club.baldmove.com to get access to exclusive bonus audio and video features. Finally, you can follow us on your favorite social media at Bald Move. See you next time.